no finish or the refs? A couple people asked, where's the John Gibson option? We said, ah, 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 we're not going to go there. Okay, um, I don't love this, but no finish has 69% of the vote. Super nice! Did you hear Shorty dropped to 69 on the broadcast last but, night? But and, no nice. And I cannot believe Cheech wasn't just like, nice. That would have brought the house down. I know, I was that would have rescued the game. It that was the perfect opportunity right there. Everyone was thinking it. If Cheech, Everyone. If Cheech would have broken out into a Borat, that would have been amazing. <laughs> to the phone lines we go. Brendan Batchelor, uh, play-by-play man for the Vancouver Canucks, joins us now on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Batch. How are you? Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you? Uh, we're good, thanks. I won't actually make you answer this question because it was a bit of red meat that we were throwing <laughs> to a frenzied fan base. I think everyone knows, apparently, including Brad Meyer, who Travis Green said kind of came up and apologized for that call, uh, the Yaroslav Halak tripping call. Uh, we can put the, the officiating aside for a sec. Uh, the, the, here's a question for you. Was it really good goaltending from John Gibson or was it a lack of finish from the Vancouver Canucks? It was a little bit of both, but probably more so uh, a strong performance by John Gibson, who's been playing really well lately. I thought the Canucks did a, a pretty good job of creating chances and dangerous chances throughout the game, certainly early in the first period. That's one of the better starts to a game we've seen from them this year. And then, of course, they take a penalty, and what happens? The, the penalty kill can't come through, and they go down one nothing, and then they end up chasing the rest of the game after that. But... Um, I, I like the chances, and you know how um, whenever a team isn't scoring, players on the, the team, and we've heard this from Bo Horvat quite a lot over the last few years, will say, but we're getting the chances. And, you know, sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. But I think last night was a night where they did have those chances, and if they continue to generate like that, pucks will go in for them. You know, it was interesting. One of the clips that we had from Elias Pettersson that we didn't play was him talking about scoring and shot, or scoring chance and shot generation. And he said, we need to pr- create and produce even more, which I thought was interesting after a night in which I don't think anyone was going to argue with the fact that the Canucks did a good job of creating those chances. But, you know, I think it just speaks to the fact that everyone involved with that top nine forward group and specifically the lotto line, even though there was only two goals, there was a lot of shots on net, everyone still collectively feels like there's more to give offensively. Yeah, those guys have really high standards. And certainly Pedersen, who has had a slow offensive start to the year, expects a lot of himself when it comes to production. So on a night where uh, they left it awfully late to get a couple of goals from some of their top guys to at least earn a point out of that game, uh, it doesn't surprise me to hear that from him because he, he knows, and I think we all know, that they can be even better. We've seen them be even better than they were last night, uh, you know, in stretches over the past couple of years, certainly more so uh, two seasons ago than, than last season. So um, that's a good thing to hear from one of your top offensive guys who has had that slow start to the year is that they understand that even though they had a good game, they're not content with that. Uh, and hopefully it leads to even better things for that line going forward at even strength and on the power play. I, I say this knowing that the Canucks have only played 13 games this season, and some teams, like the upcoming game against the Colorado Avalanche, have only played 10, so it's early days for everybody involved. At the same time, Jason and I have talked a lot already in the show about the importance of needing to string together some victories and to go on a run at any point, really. And I, we say this because 
They just came off a homestand in which they only collected five of 14 points. I don't know how you can spin that. Not you, Batch, but the the general, the royal you can spin that into Mm -hmm. anything other than a negative. That's a bad road trip and it's a bad homestand and it's a disappointment in large part because they did well on the aforementioned road trip. Um, Looking ahead, do you feel like there's a sense of, Moral victories are out the window. You know, playing well and not getting the results is out the window. They need to get some results because, again, five points out of 14 on the seven-game homestand. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, this road trip coming up is is going to be challenging. Three games in four nights. You're playing uh, at least a couple of pretty good teams in Colorado and Vegas, although they've had some slow starts to the year. I know Vegas has the injury issues, which, you know, if you want to look at it from a a glass half full perspective, this might be the best time to play the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights when they're going through injuries and they don't necessarily have their full complement of players. But uh, the Canucks need to elevate their game to, first of all, just claw back to 500 or at least find a way to stay in the conversation and not fall too far behind the pack in terms of trying to stick around and battle for a playoff spot. But then on top of that, you're right. At some point here, they will need to go on a run to make up for the slow start to the season. And, you know, this is a familiar conversation. It feels like every season with the Canucks, we come in and say, you know, it'd be great for them to get off to a good start so they're not chasing. And then, you know, routinely they struggle out of the gate and end up chasing all year. And we know more often than not how that has ended up, which has been that they haven't made the playoffs or it's been – you know, too much of a hill for them to climb in the late stages of the season when other teams are ramping up and getting ready for the playoffs and, and they can't string together the wins they need. So the sooner the better in terms of getting on a run like that to get yourself right back into that playoff mix and feel a bit more comfortable. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can come away with from this short three-game trip. How big a deal is it that Travis Hamanick is not going to be on this road trip? I think it's a pretty big deal. We'll end up seeing uh, what happens in terms of whether they call up someone like Jack Rathbone to play uh, potentially on the left side, or, you know, we've seen Kyle Burroughs play on the left side with Hamannick the last couple of games. So maybe it means that you go with Burroughs and Shen. Uh, well, I guess Shen's hurt right now. So it'll be interesting to see maybe Brad Hunt gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with Hamannick, I uh, I know you guys were talking about how Tyler Myers has, has essentially been both of their top pairing right shot defensemen of late. One thing I have noticed, though, is that the average ice time for the guys on the right side, most notably Myers and Pullman, has dipped significantly since Hamannick has come back into the lineup over the last handful of games. So uh, it shows that, you know, even though Hamannick isn't necessarily playing top minutes, Travis Green trusts him more than the options he had there previously uh so what i would expect is a road trip where we see a heck of a lot of tyler myers and probably an increased amount of tucker pullman as well because when when you look at the way that travis green has deployed his blue line prior to uh travis hamannick coming back into the lineup that third pairing right shot defenseman wasn't playing a whole lot and he was leaning on his top guys so uh it wouldn't surprise me at all if tyler myers plays a lot over these three games. Travis Hamnick played 1950 total last night, four, almost five minutes on the PK as well. So the Canucks will lose Travis Hamnick 
on their much maligned penalty kill uh, for these three games. What's it going to take for this team to turn things around shorthanded? Well, I, yeah, it's it's hard to answer because a lot of it to me is personnel uh, that, you know, they, they just don't have the guys. You know, I know we talked about it the other day that can win face-offs. They were running under 30% in the face-off circle shorthanded going into the game last night. And I think it's a big part of the reason that we saw JT Miller and even Bo Horvat getting penalty kill time when, you know, we know that Horvat traditionally isn't a penalty killer. It's not one of his strong suits, but uh, it's clear that if you lose 70% of the faceoffs when you're on the ice and you're down a man, you're probably going to give up a lot of goals. And that's what we've been seeing from the Canucks. So uh, without a right shot center, that's something that they're going to struggle with. Uh, I, I really don't have the answers for this penalty kill. I would, the only thing I would say is that it, I think it has to regress to the mean at some point. It can't be as bad as it's been. You know, I, I didn't look at the number this morning, but it's got to be under 70% on the season right now. I think it was only 55% on the homestand going into the game yesterday. So uh, generally speaking, we don't see penalty kills that sustain that level of dreadful play um but with the canucks I, you know i i don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for the penalty kill except to say that over a large sample size i don't know if it's possible for it to remain this bad i actually wonder if jim benning might be looking for a right shot center at this point now he might be talking would, he I might would be yeah yeah he might be talking to brandon sutter and trying to figure out when Brandon might be able to return, but at the beginning of season, Jim Benning did not make it sound like Brandon Sutter's return was going to be imminent. He essentially said, look, it's going to be months uh, for Brandon Sutter to return. Um, they did pick up Lamico in the trade for for Ulevi, but that doesn't help them with the right shot side. It did give them another penalty killer, but it does. it is a pretty glaring roster construction um, absence if you don't have a right shot centerman that can kill penalties? No, it is absolutely because then you're asking guys to take draws on their weak side all the time, which results in the kind of numbers that, you know, I was just talking about losing 70% of the draws. And, uh, you know, as we discussed the other day, uh, you can win hockey games if you're not the team that's winning most of the faceoffs. But if you're losing that many faceoffs and you're losing that many faceoffs when you're killing penalties, then, you know, it's, it's not going to go well for you. And it hasn't gone well for the Canucks to this point in the season. So, yeah, if I was Jim Benning, I would be, you know, maybe not desperately searching for a right shot center, but I'd be getting pretty close to that level of, of concern because the penalty kill doesn't look like it's getting better. Uh, at the very least, it's giving up a goal a game. And when you're playing in a ton of one-goal games like the Canucks are, that's the difference between winning and losing. And it has been on a lot of nights for Vancouver this season. Yeah, it really is amazing how much special teams have caused the Canucks almost almost all their problems. Like 80% of their problems so far this season. Because if you look at individual players, there's a lot of good stories out there. Uh, Ekman Larson, Garland, Tyler Myers has played well. Uh, Pod Colson, uh, Hoaglander, like th- there are players, you know, I would say special teams and also the lotto line. Those are, those are the concerns, but I almost include the lotto line in the special teams because they're largely responsible for the first unit power play. Um, 
speaking of Pod Colson, does this guy, is it just me or does this guy just keep getting better and better? Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's really taken a step the last few games, you know, towards the end of the homestand. And, you know, I think one thing that, that we should do is, is give the coaching staff some credit here for the way they've brought him along because uh, at the start of the year, of course, everybody wants to see the, the new rookie playing big minutes and playing up the lineup and being on the power play. And they've brought him along here and they've worked with him. They even sat him out a couple of games to, to get him some extra work in practice. And I think that that slow bringing along and getting him into the NHL and not playing him too many minutes too early is starting to pay some dividends now where he's, you know, learning the league he's understanding what he has to do to be successful he's playing better and now he's being rewarded they put him on the second power play unit uh his minutes have been up the last couple of games and you know for a guy that has all the physical tools that he has including that shot which he scored on the other night and uh you know was something that even right from the start of training camp was easily noticeable that this guy has a, a legitimate nhl shot and will be able to score goals from distance potentially in this league as he continues to develop and the shot gets even better. Um, you know, it's exciting to see, and it creates another option for you if he continues to play this well in terms of juggling with lines or moving him up into the top six or maybe getting him a chance to play with guys like Pedersen and, and Miller if Travis Green is, is moving the lines around. So I, I've been impressed with Pod Colson, especially the last two or three games, and uh, now I'll be interested to see how Travis Green deploys him when he doesn't have the last change on the road and whether some of those minutes dip down a bit here over the next three games. Batch, I'm going to put you on the spot now. I'm not, I'm, it's, this isn't even a hockey question, but we're going to be talking a lot of soccer on this show over the next little while with the Canadian uh, men's national team being back in action, the Whitecaps heading to the playoffs. Here's the question that I came up with. What's more likely? The Whitecaps win the MLS Cup, Canada qualifies for the World Cup in Qatar, or England wins the World Cup in Qatar? <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm a fellow England supporter like you are. I know. Um, it's been I, hard. It's probably, Canada, probably Canada qualifying for the World Cup at this point. I think I that's think, the right answer. Um, you know, the odds, the odds are stacked against the Whitecaps, although it would be great to see them go on a – Cinderella run they're going to have to you know put in a lot of work to do it um you know England as much as they may make the final you know uh, we've lived it all our lives Jason you know they they struggle to get the job done when it comes down to it uh we saw it this past summer they are a very good team they'll be in that mix of of uh, nations that could very well win the world cup but um you know I I let's put it this way I don't put my money on England because I've been burned too many times Batch, great stuff today, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the upcoming road trip. Uh, We will do this again next week. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, guys.